Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith, the annoying voice of podcasting, and you're listening to the non-annoying Three Guys in a Flick. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. What am I talking about? What am I talking about? I'm talking about your gold darn security, Hogarth. While you're snoozing in your whittled jammies back in Washington, we're wide awake and worried. Why? Because everyone wants what we have, Hogarth. Everyone. You think this metal man is fun. But who built it? The Russians? The Chinese? The Martians? Canadians? I don't care. All that we know is that we didn't build it, and that's reason enough to assume the worst and blow it to kingdom come. Now you are going to tell me about this thing, you are going to lead me to it, and we are going to destroy it before it destroys us. Hold that thought. I'll be right there. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, The Iron Giant. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from a Coppin's scrapyard, my name is Don, and to my right we have our comic book guy, John. How are you doing? And to my left we have the professor, Ken. Hello, everybody. And joining us tonight for his third time on the show and tying him for the most appearances on Three Guys in a Flick, this is TJ. Hey. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing okay. Welcome back. It's good to be back. Yeah. How are you guys doing? Groovy. Great. All right. Fucking so much energy. What about you? What about you? How are you doing? Oh, well. Okay, great. Let's okay. move on. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm excited. To, was it in like a week or two? We got Emerald City Comic Con coming up. Yeah. We're going to go to... Unfortunately, we're not doing a panel this year because, well, John wasn't on the ball. So thanks, buddy. Uh, but we will be there. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. We might have some giveaways as well as... I think I might have these two talked into dressing up on a Saturday. Yeah, well, time will tell on that bitch. So we'll see. Tonight, we are talking about the Iron Giant. The Iron Giant comes to us as a suggestion from our faithful listener, Maggie. I just want to say thank you so much for throwing it in the helmet, and we are glad that we could get to it, and we hope you enjoy it. Released on August 6, 1999, The Iron Giant was directed by Brad Bird. It was written by Tom McCandless and Brad Bird. Based on the book The Iron Man by Ted Hughes. And it stars Jennifer Aniston, Harry Connick Jr., Vin Diesel, James Gammon, Cloris Leachman, John Mahoney, Eli Marienthal, Christopher McDonald, M. Emmett Walsh, and a bunch of other actors. How'd this movie do, Don? Uh, not very well, John. It was made for $50 million and brought in 31 Which is really strange since it has such a huge cult following. Well, the cult following doesn't happen until it goes to VHS and, you know, home distribution. So, mm. so in, the, in the initial year of its release, it only made $23 million in the box office. And it was up against some tough competition that weekend. The same weekend it was with... The Sixth Sense, which was the second highest grossing movie for 1999. And then Thomas Crown and Mystery Man were, were in there as well, but and they did a lot better. 
yeah, the Iron Giant is way down there on the profit list. I would say so. I read that the director, as well as some of the other people involved, have all credited the fact that there was barely any marketing done on this movie as a reason why it didn't do so well. Uh, maybe. Uh, I don't remember it very well in 99. Um, it was out of the top 10 after two weeks. Sure. The Iron Giant is considered by many uh, a fantastic fucking film and one of the best animated movies ever made. As far as I understand, it was one of the first movies to incorporate 2D animation and computer-generated animation. So, like, all of the different characters, the backgrounds, everything was all drawn, except for the actual Iron Giant, which was rendered by a computer. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Their reasons why they had the Iron Giant computer generated is they wanted to give him a 3D feel as well as have him kind of look a little bit different, a little bit out of place to give that the audience kind of an alien feeling when it came to him. I felt like his appearance just blended naturally into the uh, rest of the film. Well, one of the things that they did was when they generated him, they made sure the lines of his outline vibrated a little bit, and that way it also gave kind of a 2D representation. Uh, speaking of animated movies, on your list of, you know, best animated movies, where does the Iron Giant fall for you, TJ? It might be my number one. Yeah? Uh, if not that, maybe Prince of Egypt? Yeah, probably Iron Giant or Prince of Egypt. Wow, you really blew my mind with the Prince of Egypt. I forgot that fucking existed. Uh, comic book guy. You know, I was thinking about it, and I... You know, obviously you have to consider this one as animation into the Spider-Verse. Well, yeah, of course it's animation. Well, that that would be my number one. Okay. Well, I... uh, but for Iron Giant, I would say it might break the top five. It's definitely in the top ten. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Professor? I hadn't really thought about that question. and I, I thought for sure you would have asked it. But go on, bud. Yeah, I, I haven't really thought about that because my I first go to Pixar because there's uh, some heavy hitters in Pixar. And then you also talk about Spider-Verse, John, which is another worthy contender as well. And you put that up against Iron Giant and all of these, those, you know, those three by them, you know, a Pixar movie, Spider-Verse, Iron Giant, those are three really different creatures. I don't know if I could put them in, in some sort of a ranking. Hmm. I love Iron Giant. It is a solid movie through and through. I love Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It is a solid movie through and through. When I saw Toy Story the first time, totally blew me away. And, you know, when you have that first impression that happens, it really leaves a lasting mark. And I don't know if I could pick something. All right, well, let me ask you this. Is it in the top five? Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Good. I'm glad I wasn't going to go to top 10 if you weren't, if you couldn't do it, but good. Good. I like that. All right. So do you have a favorite animated movie? And uh, if you do, how does it compare with Iron Giant? Uh, unfortunately, I don't think that Iron Giant falls within my top 10, even if you exclude Pixar. Uh, Pixar is its own creature, creature, right? And unfortunately, if you add Pixar to this uh, iron giant probably doesn't fall into my top 20 you know what i mean uh it's it's good it, it, it's a fine film the top animation movies in my head excluding pixar because i mean it's pixar right uh robin hood lion king right lion king definitely impactful 
And then growing up with the Jungle Book or the Fox and the Hound or, or movies like that. Just it's the stories that really transport you. You know what I mean? So the Iron Giant's good. It probably wouldn't be in my top 20, but you know, I don't remember the last time I saw the Iron Giant and I was talking to Keenan about it, which I mean, he thinks this film is fantastic. He loves this film, right? So I don't remember when I saw it and then watching it last night, I kind of thought, had I really seen this? And so I kind of went into it as my first time seeing it. And I don't want to say I get why everybody loves it, but I respect that everybody loves it. So had any of you known ahead of time that this was based off of a book? No, no, no. The book version is actually very different than the movie version. Uh, It starts off with the book version. He's not an alien. He just starts off on earth. He's, they have no origin, nothing regarding you know where he came from. And then or Hogarth uh, actually helps the town people trap the Iron Giant, which he's called the Iron Man in oh, the book sure. version. Yeah. They just couldn't use that name because of the Marvel version. Uh, and so he ends up becoming friends with the town people. They end up feeding him, and a space dragon comes from outer space where he has to go and challenge it and save mankind from the space dragon. Yeah, I would say... Very different. Yeah. But the general theme is very similar of what the author was going for when he wrote it. The author was actually dealing with uh, his wife committing suicide and having to explain that to his children. He wanted to basically write a book with a theme and idea of when things fall apart, you can put them back together, similar to how the giant does in the book and the movie. You notice when he breaks apart, he can pull himself back together. Similar, that's one of the reasons why Brad Bird was so interested in this movie is he was dealing with the loss of his sister through domestic violence. So he was kind of looking for something that kind of had that same theme of putting yourself back together. He also wanted to go with the theme of uh, what if a gun had a soul? Would it still be a weapon? Um, Did you get either of those themes from this movie? No. Uh, certainly the, certainly the, the soul part because it's discussed in the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the movie starts with him as kind of a blank slate and he, he sort of gets reintroduced to the world through like with, with Hogarth and a very childlike lens to me, his, his journey is about rediscovering things about life and then also confronting the reality of what, what his outward stance is like he is he instantly puts Kent Mansley and the U.S. government in a state of shock because he outwardly is a terrifying monster. But what we come to learn about him is that he's defensively reactive. So let's talk a little bit about Brad Bird. What do you guys think of Brad Bird as a director? This was his debut directing, is from what I read. He, he kicks ass. He, he did a fantastic job directing this movie. And he is, I, I think probably uh, just the right temperate for this movie because of his preference or of his style, he has a young innocence and he also has a preference for things of not a yesteryear, but retro sort of things because the next movie he directs is The Incredibles. It's got that 1950s James Bond look to it. He directed Tomorrowland and he liked that that look as well. and I don't want to say that it's Pollyannish, but he he has a uh, an, an innocence that um, he 
prefers to try to bring out in his movies. One thing that I really appreciate about him is he got a lot of pressure from producers and the studio and everything to almost disney it, basically putting in like a sidekick, putting in a pet, making these changes, making it happier, adding some music and songs into it. He stood his ground and said no to everything and made the movie he wanted to make. Uh, what about this cast? This cast blow you away? Yeah? You know, I didn't feel like any of the cast really stuck out except for McDonald. Oh, yes, Mansley. Mansley, he was the one that really jumped out for me that was just the most entertaining of all the characters. Everyone else, maybe, uh, I think it was Eli who played Hogarth. Uh-huh. Yeah. He he did a pretty good job. And Vin Diesel, with what he had, I think he only had 53 lines or 53 words in the entire movie. He did a good job conveying you know emotion for an iron giant robot. But other than that, you know, I didn't think much of Harry Connick Jr. or Jennifer Aniston's characters. Yeah. For me, the entire cast just seemed pretty vanilla, uh, pretty standard for that time and that type of movie. So yeah. What about you guys? You guys, I've always had a soft spot for Harry Connick Jr. I've listened to him for a bunch of years and to have him in a movie I enjoyed it because I enjoyed listening to Harry Connick's voice because I've been listening to it forever. I also really enjoyed Eli. And having Mansley portrayed by Christopher McDonald, I, I loved him. He, I loved his voice, and I loved his, uh, his enthusiasm to the character. Let me ask you this, Professor. Every time you heard uh, Kent Mansley, did you picture in your mind Shooter McGavin? No. No, uh, because I... I think of Mansley. Mm-hmm. I don't. I I don't think of Shooter McGavin at all. Mm-hmm. I I got Shooter McGavin vibes throughout this movie. How about you, Don? Oh yeah, absolutely. Any comments on the cast? Anybody sway you in any particular way, or are they just pedestrian? No, oh, I I love all these characters, and kind of what you said about Harry Connick Jr. Uh, him not having very many voice roles, I think, makes Dean feel unique among uh, cartoon characters. I I love um, I love what each one of these characters brings to the movie. I I love Dean's whole character. I, I I think Dean is probably my favorite character. Kent Mansley is certainly the most entertaining character, but I think Dean is the one who is really able to infer a lot of the movie's themes in a really eloquent way to Hogarth. I love the relationship between him and Hogarth, and I also think that Hogarth is just like the perfect kind of character in this world. I, I love how amazed he is by the Iron Giant. And I, I what, is, what is the quote he says where it's like, we, we could put it on Ripley's Believe It or Not, but they, they wouldn't believe it. Um, I, I dig Hogarth's intuitiveness. I, I dig how creative he is. I, I dig the way that he's able to outspurt Mansley a couple of times. And I also really dig Hogarth's mom. I think that she is also an exceptional character who you can feel a lot of different things from. She, The first time we meet her, right at the diner, Hogarth's coming at her with a new pet, and she instantly infers this history of all the other pets that Hogarth has brought her. And she, she's an awesome woman. What we learn about her is that she's a single mom, too, and she's trying to make ends meet a little bit, but I, I just, I, I love the implied history between her and Hogarth with, with the line of, do you remember the raccoon, Hogarth? <laughs> I remember the raccoon. Um, I, yeah, I 
I, I think all these characters are excellent. I even love the general. I think the general really comes at it with, with he to me is like, he's very much of the trope of a 50s style general, but, um, and I, I don't remember who voices him specifically, but every line of his, I find to be just totally quotable. And I, I love, I love everything that he brings to the movie as well. So typically what I've been doing lately is bringing trivia to our podcast to see who knows the movie best or who knows the themes of the movie best. So I put together some Iron Giant themed trivia. So you guys ready for the questions? Yes, please. What was the name of the laxative bar that Hogarth crumbled onto Mansley's ice cream? I got it. Chocolax or Cocolax? Cocolax. I call it landslide. Try it. It's new. What did Hogarth's mom do for a living? She was a barista at Central Perks. She was a waitress <laughs> at a diner. Yeah, waitress at the cafe. Fuck, I was so close. <laughs> I was cross genre. What is the last thing that the Iron Giant says to Hogarth? Superman. Nope. I thought it was, you stay, I go. No oh, problem. no, no, no. I know what it was. Yeah. I am Groot. Mm. Nope. Was it not, I stay, you go, no following? Or Sorry, I said that backwards. You stay, I go, no following. No following is the answer. Wait, 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 wait. I got it. Phone home. Nope. God damn it. No, 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 no. Wait, I got it. I got it. I got it. We're already past Hasta la vista, baby. Where did the town name Rockwell come from? Uh, it is actually based off of Norman Rockwell because that was the style of, of all the backgrounds and the home life and everything. They wanted to make it feel like a Norman Rockwell painting. Mm. No, I, I, I yeah, yeah make, makes sense. During the Cold War, an object from space crashes into the ocean just off the coast of Maine and then enters the forest near the town of Rockwell. The following night, nine-year-old Hogarth Hughes investigates and finds the object a 50-foot-tall alien robot attempting to eat the transmission lines of an electrical substation. Hogarth eventually befriends the giant, finding him docile and curious. When he eats railroad tracks in the path of an oncoming train, the train collides with him and derails. Hogarth leads the giant away from the area, discovering that he can self-repair. While there, Hogarth shows the giant comic books and compares them to his hero, Superman. So the movie opens with a beeping, and it turns out that uh, we get this shot of Sputnik going around the, uh, the the Earth. By the way, did do any of you know the how big Sputnik, the satellite was? No, I have no clue. Size of a basketball, right? It was the size of a volleyball or volleyball. Mm. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, pretty pretty crazy that that was such a big deal. And then from there we get the. Uh, we get the uh, the we see a, a storm happening down on the earth. The camera swings out, and here comes this this ball of fire, and it crashes right down into the middle of the eye of the storm. And then from there, we have the the ship that is uh, frantically calling for help. And as as he's looking, all of a sudden he sees the lighthouse, but it's not the lighthouse. And I totally loved how. You turn around and you see those two headlight eyes. Right. Because he hits the fucking giant, right? Yep. Yeah. Doesn't it doesn't his boat start to sink? And doesn't the iron giant save him? The the boat sinks because of the collision and then he washes up on shore and it's right at the base of the lighthouse. Right. 
from here, we are introduced to Hogarth. And he's he's asking his mom to please, please, please consider the pet. And he doesn't have the pet. And what does he say, TJ? I will go get him. <laughs> because the pet had escaped. And we now find out that it's a fucking squirrel. And where did the squirrel go? Uh, up Dean's pants. And we're introduced to Dean. This is my first question. Dean casually gets up and starts to leave the restaurant with the squirrel in his pants, but then stops unzips his pants, exposes himself to everybody right in the middle of the cafe to let the squirrel out. He couldn't make it another five feet out the door. Have you ever had a squirrel in your pants? That would just be nuts. Yeah, 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 yeah. You probably want it out of there as soon as possible. And to be fair to Dean, he did warn everybody. Yes, he, he did. He did apologize. Um, and so, yeah, he opens up his pants, and I'm sure the <laughs> maybe whoever he was in front of got confused. He saw two squirrels. Lucky for us, we didn't. And then from there, now we have Hogarth. He's going to be at home. Mom calls. I got to work late. So no scary movies, no late snacks. In by in bed by 8 o'clock. Got it? Had he heard earlier, though, at the cafe, or I thought something of people over, like they, they're talking, you overheard about a possible big robot or something in the woods? Well, Earl, he was talking about what he had witnessed right before his ship went down. Right. It's that whole bit of somebody seeing something and everybody in the town not believing him, mm-hmm. you know. Judged by you, it was either whiskey or beer. And turns out Earl has called Washington. We also see Dean stand up for him. It's it's a really, really small moment. But oh, yeah. He, mm-hmm. says some, he says, if we don't stand up for the kooks, who will? Right. And right. I think that gives us an early glimpse into maybe why he's so sympathetic to Hogarth. Maybe. And I I think what it kind of portrays right away is that dean has a heart absolutely you, you know what i mean and he is going to be the character we want to get behind he's the character that we're going to want to see hogarth's mom end up with so did yeah. you get i mean obviously we haven't been introduced to kent yet but that uh, dean was the polar opposite of ken that while dean was laid back and accepted everything and even when he's introduced to the giant, he doesn't first react to, we need to destroy it. You know, he's very accepting of it, whereas Kent is just so high-strung and so the opposite. Oh, yeah, he's definitely the polar opposite. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that Kent definitely calls him a beatnik at one point, which is another, like, really specific term right. at that point in history, mm-hmm. being on opposite because he, he's very much more of the counterculture, I would say. And you can tell that right away in his appearance because they gave him a soul patch. Right, only the beatniks and the hippies in the fifties had soul patches, and he wore all black. And yeah, he was into art. He's totally into art. And so Hogarth is watching TV, and he's watching the shows that his mom tells him not to watch. And we cut to the clock, and it's like nine something. Right. Um, I got to admit, when uh, he was eating the Twinkies, and he was adding the additional whipped cream, the Turbo Twinkie is what it's called. That's a little slice of heaven, right there. Made me really want some Twinkies at that moment. It looks delicious. (laughs) So Hogarth, he hears a sound, and he goes upstairs to investigate. And as he's going upstairs to investigate the the television show, uh, you hear the glass break of the jar. And then, so as Hogarth is going up, and then you hear the glass break, and the show says, "Who's there?" And I thought that was that was a neat little twist there. And so he 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 runs back down there, and he sees the the brain you know, attacking the guy and then get the static. And then he is forced to investigate what happened to my TV show. 
Right, right. And this leads him outside. Mm-hmm. So he has to go find out what's going on. I kept thinking while he was outside kind of going into the woods, he had his little BB gun and a flashlight hooked to the top of it. Did you notice that the flashlight curved around over the front of the BB gun? Yeah. Yeah. So if he shot it, he would just be shooting the flashlight? Yeah. That is something that has always bothered me too. The other thing about it is when he's on top of the the house and he shines the flashlight, it is able to go for like a quarter of a mile. I was thinking to myself, that's a really powerful fucking flashlight. I I thought that as a kid, I still think that as an adult, that that is one of the most amazing flashlights I've ever seen. Well, it was made in the 50s, so it was probably uranium or something. (laughs) (laughs) So while Hogarth is uh, suiting himself up, we see Oso briefly. He's got a couple of uh, comics. There's one called Invaders from Mars, and then he has a Red Menace comic book on his chair. Sets the period piece just a little bit more firmly as well. What era we are in. Sure. Now, would you guys have gone hunting in the woods by yourself for a possible alien? Um, at how old is Hogarth? Nine. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I, I get the impression that he's used to being by himself. Sure. He's he's becoming self-sufficient. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So He's a latchkey kid for sure. Oh, absolutely. The other thing that, I mean, the reason that he's, I, I think it's it's already sort of implied when mom calls that she works basically all the time. And because there is no dad in his life, it's it's pretty much just him. And so this is where he finds the Iron Giant. I really appreciated the reveal that, that we, the audience, are given for um, the Iron Giant. We have Hogarth looking at the power plant And then in the background, we see the silhouette of the trees. And then we see the head swivel around to reveal the two eyes. It's just like, oh, that was good. Yeah. As as silly as it is that the on-off switch is there, it's really the best way non-verbally for the Iron Giant to communicate later with Hogarth in a way that's like, I know what you did for me further down the movie. The one thing I didn't get about this movie, and again, Don, you'll probably just say it's because it's a cartoon, was whenever the Iron Giant is walking or with Hogarth, the ground shakes like there's an earthquake going on. I mean, it's pound, 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 pound. But yet this motherfucker can sneak around the woods, bite cars, take yeah. chunks out of uh, buildings, and nobody hears a fucking thing. Yeah, there's not a sound, and the ground doesn't even vibrate. Okay, one more time. Cartoon. Okay. <laughs> also, also during the Iron Giant's reveal... Uh, drive, drove me nuts. The the reveal of the Iron Giant. Um, there there are these uh, flutes that play, and then when his eyes are revealed, then you get the the creepy violins. So so beautifully done. I, I really dug the music for that moment. It was a great reveal. And so after the uh, the Iron Giant uh, is is revealed that way. Now we have him walking and this is where he is so robotic looking because he is, he's moving very stiffly and Hogarth just barely gets out of the way. And you watch him just mechanically grabbing the metal and just pushing it into his mouth. Right. Right. And, and then after the electricity is shut off and Hogarth gets up on him, throws the rock and then he, you listen to the rock go down inside of his mouth and then and then you have the uh, the eyes light up again, and he's ah, and he and he scrambles off immediately. So he's a he's definitely freaked out by what he's seen. Sure, I mean it's a fifty foot fucking robot, right? That was eating metal and just got electrocuted by something that should have fried him, but he's still alive. And then we have Annie. 
show up. In the meantime, she's frantically looking for her Hogarth, and she shows up, and and then she takes Hogarth away, and then we happen to see the Iron Giant looking towards Hogarth as he's looking out the back window, and then he sees the head tilt a little bit. I dug the head tilt. We instantly cut to Hogarth drawing that same uh, tilted head view of the Iron Giant in class the next day. I loved the video of the... Atomic Holocaust. Yeah, yeah duck and cover, like yeah. and the and explosion the around the, yeah. the desk. Because that's exactly what they did in mm-hmm. the 50s, right? They'd have those film reels. Yeah, I immediately thought of Dodgeball in Patches of Julian. Did you notice that the kids that were talking in front of Hogarth, uh, they were very much the same attitude as Kent Mansley in that, you know, I don't care what it is, we just have to destroy it. It's foreign. Bomb it to smithereens. It, it's the, they are the product of their environment at the time. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah. So that, that is very spot on. I also love that simultaneously when that's happening, we get this, this view on the screen of just all of the bombs going off. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh-huh. And then we have Dean where he is collecting a piece of scrap metal. Somebody's car. Yeah. Or it's uh, a tractor. What, what is his name, Earl? I don't know what to tell you, Earl. I mean, it's got this large bite out of it. That's why I'm selling it. It's got a large bite out of it. So this tractor has a large bite because there's a predator on the loose eating a bunch of metal. So, yeah. That nobody can hear or see. It's also in this moment that um, I think Earl reiterates that he called someone from the government about it. Right. And and that's where Dean gives us the line of, who the hell is the government going to send? Kent Mansley, unexplained phenomenon, United States government. So we are introduced to Kent Mansley. And, you know, I think we've all said that he is a very fun character and uh, memorable and uh, plays a really good bad guy. He is definitely a great antagonist for this story. But Hogarth wants some fucking proof, right? So he goes with his camera and he kind of sets up a little uh, bait, you know, for the Iron Giant. He puts a piece of scrap metal on this tree stump and, you know, waits and waits and waits. And he falls asleep naturally because... Who wouldn't? Uh, he wakes up and the scrap metal has gone and it's right next to him. And so now this is the bit where the giant and Hogarth get to know each other. And there's a wonderful music swell when the giant is revealed to us. And we look up and to see the, the giant looking down back at us. And so they go through the whole uh, Hogarth figures out that he's not going to hurt him. Initially, he, he panics. He, he runs away. He's trying to get away from the Iron Giant. And the Iron Giant is, is walking after him. And he ends up stopping because the giant puts the the metal switch down in front of him. And the metal on and off switch tells Hogarth, you know, really, I'm not going to hurt you because you saved me. And we have this little moment. Hogarth has tripped and he's got the bloody nose and he's sitting there on the ground. And Hogarth, he uh, he takes his posture to be a little bit more relaxed and his legs relax a little bit more, and then the giant mimics him, just like we had that moment in Jaws where his son is imitating Brody at the dinner table. And with that, this connection starts right here, and Hogarth realizes that he's able to have some sort of a communication link with the giant. And so they have a conversation and try to get to know each other. (laughs) And then Hogarth has to leave, and he keeps telling the giant, stay here, don't follow me. Uh, after he kind of teaches him how to talk, he learns how to say tree and rock. Rock. He gives him the line, you stay, I go, no following. Which show is what, John? Foreshadowing? 
And so uh, the Iron Giant doesn't listen to Hogarth, and he follows him anyway. And then as he's walking, he fucks up the railroad tracks. Or no, he's hungry. And so he starts, you know, trying to take apart the, the train, train track. Tracks. And Hogarth is like, no, motherfucker, don't do that. And then we see the trains coming. Put yep. it back. Yep, yep. So uh, as he's trying to put it back, the train hits him. And amazingly enough, does not kill the train conductor. Right. Right, um, but the Iron Giant's kind of fucked up. He loses a lamb and a hand and shit, right? This is the bit. You're alive! From there, he brings uh, the giant into the shed, and he has an old dinner with his mom where the hand runs around the, the room. And uh, and then he, he has that moment with him in the, in the shed where he talks about um, right. the different archetypes of his comic books, and, and he sort of puts on to... The Iron Giant, I think, what he wants him to be like. And there's this sort of obvious comparison that, like, well, he's a giant robot and he's capable of... He, he seems intimidating and, and he's destructive. And I, I don't remember the name of the comic book specifically that he shows him. Autonomo or... Autonomo, like yeah. yeah. And, um, but Hogarth wants him to be more empathetic, I, I think, after after their incident in the woods. And, and he tries to tell him the, the narrative of, of Superman and... And I mean that's kind of also what we get when when he puts together the railroad track as well. We we tell that we can tell that Hogarth. Um, Hogarth is, wants him to be the hero. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is kind of where Hogarth introduces that notion to the Iron Giant, and I think this is kind of puts it in the Iron Giant's memory bank. You can have a choice, mm-hmm. and and I, and it does come down to that because later on we learn that he has a choice. So, um, yeah, this is a good bit when, and I mean, fuck, he's referencing Superman. I mean, that's my favorite too, so can't be all bad. One of the things I really enjoy about this movie is the dialogue of Hogarth explaining things to the robot. And I like the way he explains things to the robot, you know, explaining how super, you know, who Superman is, explaining that, you know, you have choices and just explaining how things work. You know, when it gets to the soul discussion later, it's all just, I think those are some of the most enjoyable parts of the movie. The incidents lead a paranoid U.S. government agent named Kent Mansley to Rockwell. He suspects Hogarth's involvement after talking to him and his widowed mother, Annie, and rents a room in their house to keep an eye on him. Hogarth evades Mansley and leads the giant to a junkyard owned by beatnik artist Dean McCoppin, who reluctantly agrees to keep him. Hogarth enjoys his time with the giant, but is compelled to explain the concept of death to the giant after he witnesses hunters killing a deer. Hogarth is interrogated by Mansley when he discovers evidence of the giant after finding a photo of him next to Hogarth and summons a U.S. Army contingent led by General Shannon Roger to the scrapyard to prove the giant's existence. But Dean, having been warned by Hogarth earlier, tricks them by pretending that the giant is one of his pieces of art. Later... While playing with a toy gun, Hogarth inadvertently activates the giant's defense system, firing a laser beam in the process. Dean yells at him for nearly killing Hogarth, and the saddened giant runs away with Hogarth giving chase. Dean quickly realizes that the giant was only acting in self-defense and catches up to Hogarth as they follow the giant. And so now uh, Mansley is in town, and... uh, he goes to check out the plant and he finds Hogarth's BB gun, which kind of uh, is like the first three letters of his first and last name. Hog hug. And he holds on to it. And he uh, then is called out to the to investigate the train. 
he yeah he hears uh, that the train accident. They refer to it as a giant metal man. That's what the gal at the switchboard said, and that makes Mansley perk up. Wait a second. Yeah, well, he he um, he doesn't believe that there's a huge problem until he sees the giant bite out of his car. And then he goes back to the government trying to convince them what's happening, and the train incident kind of lands perfectly in his lap for them to continue an investigation. Right. So he has to use a phone to report his findings, and he makes his way down to the Hughes's. And um, kind of strange how Hogarth's mom is just so inviting to let him in to use the phone. Some strange guy guy bangs at their door and she just lets him in. It's kind of a different time, and he is like, "I need to get to the nearest telephone." I don't know. To me, I'm I'm guessing at at that point in time, if if you were trying to get a telephone, I feel like it was much more neighborly. So the phone call is made, and and he has to produce some sort of evidence yeah. that will make the army come out, and so. Give me a plaster cast of it, and I could send a couple of troops out there for you. But you tell me you got a feeling. So Mansley, he's he's leaving, and he says goodbye, Hogarth, and, and then Hogarth goes, it's Hogarth. Right. And he's in the car. Hogarth. Hogarth. Who names their kid Hogarth? I am. And then he puts two and two together. Hug, hug. Looks at the gun. And Hogarth Hughes. I love the asides with uh, with Kent in his car. We also get that uh, when he's when he's heading back to the to his car after he tells the the construction foreman big things happen in big places, Marv. We get these moments with with Kent where he's just by himself and he just sort of mutters to himself. And I don't know, I I love that about his about this villain. Like we kind of get these moments where he's like reflective onto it. It, it to me makes me wish that other film villains did something similar. Like I, I, my my instant comparison point is like, can you imagine if we had that with like Kylo Ren in all of Star Wars? Like after the first incident where they land on the planet in Force Awakens, and you know he has that exchange with the old guy, and he's like, "My, look at how old you've become," and and you know uh, he gets back into a ship, right, flying back to this station, right, and we know that he's by himself for like fifty or so minutes. Do you think Kylo Ren does the same thing that Kent Mansley does when he's in a ship by himself where he just kind of chuckles about the things that he said in the previous <laughs> scene, right? Or 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 he goes over and like, Why the fuck didn't I do that? Or yeah, I could totally see Kylo Ren talking to himself on the way back. So he goes back to the house. I know you can't Mansley if you're with the government. See anything unusual? Hogarth? It's a really great scene because um, when 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 Hogarth's mom picked him up initially, right? He's like, "Mom, you're not going to believe this, but there was a fifty foot robot," and his mom is just having absolutely none of it. Right? She's she's annoyed that he was out of the house, and and Hogarth instantly knows he's in trouble when the government agent comes back and asks him the exact same question. And and we get this really really funny bit where he's like, "I, I got to go to the bathroom," and his mom's like, "It's so weird. He, he wouldn't stop talking about it last night. Fifty foot robot." And I love Kent Mansley like a robot. <laughs> what else did he say? Yeah, I think from there, Kent Mansley is just, we kind of see a montage of him going through the town, well, following for, up on well, stuff. Well, first, what we get is, after their small talk, then they go for a walk, and they go for a walk out in the woods, right? It's mm. a, it's twilight, it's it's just past dark, and, yeah. and right? And they and they walk up to the, the, the town of Rockwell. And no, no, not yet. They're not ready for you yet. Is this where he's taking them to the junkyard? They spot an abandoned car, and then... The giant, he's very excited about it. But then, oh, here comes a truck, and then they got to stand in front of the, the billboard, the Cosmo Burger billboard. And he kind of blends right in. 
you know, uh, right in front of your face camouflage. Yeah, they see that convenient. the yeah they see that the truck is for Macoppin's scrap, and that's where they come up with the brilliant idea of ah the scrapyard. Right. So Hogarth leads the giant to the scrapyard, and this this is where Dean finds out about the robot as well, right? Mm-hmm. And you were right, TJ. Uh, I think you said this earlier. He didn't freak out when he saw it. He didn't. His first reaction wasn't "We got to blow this fucker up" or "I got to call somebody." Um, he just kind of went with it. Well, you he, know? he gets scared really initially. He Hogarth Hogarth comes to him first, knowing that Dean is going to show up. And, and hey, I know you, Squirrel Boy. Yeah, I don't know. That's yeah, but he he gets scared because he's he's intimidated by him. But then he gets that moment with him where he's like, "We like Dean." So they go inside and they start talking, and Hogarth gets a little bit of espresso. He's like, "Sure, you want some milk or something? Coffee's fine." But but what's what I love about this scene is um a, a, again just just a testament to why I think this story is so succinct. We get this um Hogarth starts complaining about uh, his classmates. His classmates and uh you know if they would just do the sink and homework and um and Dean kind of gives him some offhanded advice of you are who you choose to be. Yeah, who cares what those creeps think? You know, they don't decide who you are. You do. You're the one who you choose to be. Yeah. Which again is foreshadowing because that's basically what Hogarth says to the Iron Giant at the end of the movie. Yeah, I, I, I just I love how subtle it is. I love just the the, the beauty of it happening in like a, in a really innocuous conversation between these two characters. For it to come back and really like transcend the original meaning of it, I think is just so powerful. So then Dean discovers the Iron Giant and he's told that he needs food and shelter and then you get that little 37 minutes later. Yeah, he pours the coffee. I, I love it. He's like, he needs a place to stay and Dean just kind of stares at him, stands up, pours out the coffee <laughs> and still he goes inside. And then Hogarth, he goes home and he gets home just in time to, oh, you're up already? Just making the bed. I love that. I like the interaction the next morning with Dean and the Iron Giant of, you know, that is junk, that is art. And he's trying to explain the difference, and all of a sudden the Iron Giant puts down a piece that he's now made an art piece. And he's like, well, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, I mean, Iron Giant would probably be good for that, right? He could lift all the heavy shit and, you know, he, he doesn't make a bad piece of artwork himself. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think Dean also comes to really like the Iron Giant as well in that scene because he finds another way to connect with him in, in the way that Hogarth sort of found an emotional core with him. Dean also grows closer to the Giant as well in that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think of the scene with uh, Hogarth when they go to the swimming hole? First of all, in Maine, how cold it would be and how cold that water would be. <laughs> and Hogarth does the cannonball into the water and then uh, followed by the Iron Giant doing the cannonball. Hey, Dean! Watch this. And, you know, and it cuts to the road and all the water's coming through. And then uh, they did a, I thought it was kind of humorous where Dean comes sitting on the chair. And then the way they, they did it was he actually lands on the ground and then the water resides. Um, this truck pulls up. Yeah. I thought it's one of my favorite funny. lines in the movie is you're right in the middle of the road. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did you catch the newspaper that Dean was reading, what the article was, the headline. It's like disaster looms, right? Yeah. Disaster seen as catastrophe looms, which is kind of a quick little foreshadow for you're about to get washed away. I, I love it. He, he shows up to the beach, and uh, he's just he's so indifferent. He's like, all right, all right, we're watching, we're watching. So we have, turns out at, at, at this time as well, Mansley is 
renting the room with Annie and Hogarth now. And so now he can start interrogating Hogarth. And the amusing thing of the interrogation is all of the different little names that is thrown at Hogarth. I love that montage so much. Now, what's this about a giant robot, Skipper? Sport. Yeah. Buckaroo. Slugger. Tiger. Buddy. Ranger. I like the Buckaroo one. Cowboy. Chia. Chief. Skipper. Yeah, I, I love the, the the way that they conclude that is just so great where he's like, I'm going out. You know, Hogarth's just trying to get out immediately, and his mom's like, what, what if you take him with you? He's like, yeah, we can, we can swap a few stories. Yeah, this is, show him the site. This yeah. is the bit where he chloroforms him at the very end too, right? No, that's later on. This is the, um, where they go to the cafe, and Hogarth, which I feel like the chloroform might have been revenge for, gives a, slips him the laxative. They both do something that is like... Very uncool <laughs> to each other. Between chloroform and laxatives? Yeah. And then... I, I think this is where we get the montage of Mansley following up a bunch of different leads across town, and he yeah. does find the camera yes. at the end of this it, montage. It's, a, it's after this point when they're at the lake yeah. that Mansley starts looking around, and that's where he stumbles upon the camera. And during this montage, doesn't he every so often have to run to the bathroom? Yeah. Yes. Well, because he's, you know, <laughs> flowing like a river. In the meantime, Hogarth and the Iron Giant, they are out for a, a stroll, and that's where they that's where they spot the deer. Mm. And then shortly thereafter, the deer is killed, and then they have the conversation about it's dead and... and what the, death even means. And the giant is sad about it. And then oh so briefly, he, he, uh, his irises, they, they shift to the, the red... For just a moment, when he looks at the rifle, and that's our first reveal of something else about him. I guess the scene was originally written differently, and I think they even uh, drew it differently, animated it differently, but decided to go a different route, which was the Iron Giant was supposed to kill the deer accidentally. And that's when Hogarth had to explain to him what death is and what, how killing is bad. Sure. Uh, but they decided to change it up. They didn't want people to see the giant kill something. They want so they change it up to hunters. Well, yeah, he I I much prefer, it, well, like what you're saying, what they ended up with in the film because he gets a much more tender moment with the deer. There's that really really beautiful shot where he stretches his hand across uh, the frame to to almost touch the deer's nose and then gets scared off. And it's during this reveal that we see that the that the giant has feelings, and then having the giant show compassion and and, and sympathy and sorrow. And trying to understand and make sense of death, this is where we get Hogarth telling us, you have a soul, and souls don't die. Mom says it's something inside of all good things, and that it goes on forever and ever. And this is showing the, the, the friendship, the, the faith that Hogarth has in the giant. And he is seeing what the giant doesn't see in himself, is that he has a choice, and he is good, and this is not going to be what defines you just because what you are built for doesn't mean that you can't change who you are. Now, Hogarth doesn't know all of the other things that the giant is about, but this is letting the giant understand that he is more than what he is made for. It's a really beautiful scene. I love how the the lights of his eyes glow right onto Hogarth when he's telling him about a soul, too. I, mm -hmm. this, I don't know. I... Even though it's, like you said, simplistic, I, I think there's a real intentional beauty in a lot of the frames in, in this movie. And I, I love, I adore the shot of him on his back looking up at the stars. Oh, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Another just beautiful moment. The next scene we get is that Mansley confronts Hogarth. Yep. They have the the chloroform, the stare down, the chloroform, then the stare down. Yeah, Hogarth. Hogarth goes home after that incident, and that's where Kent confronts him. He knows he's got evidence because he's got the photo. Mm-hmm. And like every kid movie, the kid's able to sneak out. You can't protect him, Hogarth, any more than you can protect your mother. This this scene really threatens I think the is, mom. Yeah. Mansley gets pure evil in this scene because he threatens to like basically like separate him from his mom mm-hmm. in a really like scary kind of way. I don't know. I, I, I found this scene to be the true villainy of, of Kent. So Hogarth wakes up in his bed and Mansley's on the phone with General Rogard. And then with that, oh shit, it's too late. And so the army arrives in the morning, Hogarth. Don't get cute. And then this is where you get the stare down between the two of them. And the stare down begins at 8.20 p.m. And then finally, Hogarth rolls over and goes to sleep at 2.55. Wearing a helmet. There's also a little detail here that I I didn't notice until I I think I heard the director commentary on it. Wait, wait, let let, let me see if I can guess it. You get the picture of his dad? Yes. It's the one. That that was like the most subtle way they could do it. And I, I really dig that too. It's just an extra little bit of flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as soon as I saw that, I went, oh, okay. That that gives a little bit more context to what's going on. Because I'm assuming the father is dead. Isn't he getting into a plane? Or yeah. Didn't I, it, it infer he's that he's a, pilot. he's a pilot? Yeah. yeah. And at the beginning, he's wearing that oversized jacket. It has to be his dad's jacket. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. And then it's 7.15 in the morning. Kent wakes up with a start. And then <laughs> Hogarth walks by. Morning, Kent. But yet the helmet is still yeah, in the bed. In the bed. Very Ferris Bueller-y. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Hogarth's a wicked smart kid. I don't know. That, that That's just another moment of him just like he knows he has to go and warn Dean and he he wins that stare down in a really clever way. But what we get here oh, is okay. we get we get the false defeat of the army. They show up. They think they have the giant. It's ah, their installation. Kent the is, metal man. Yeah. But but basically Kent is humiliated. You know, Mansley rips. <laughs> he gets ripped a new one. Yeah. And so they leave. And then after they leave, in, in total disgrace, Hogarth is playing around in the yard and he has that little laser pistol that makes little sparks when you squeeze the trigger. There was another scene here that they cut out of the movie, but I guess this is available in the special edition or the extended footage. Basically, while the giant is sleeping at one point, he has a dream and his dream appears on Dean's TV. And the dream, we kind of get to see a little bit of... You know, it's a bunch of Iron Giants in weapon mode uh, attacking a city on another planet and basically destroying the planet. In fact, in a reflection in a pool, we can see that our Iron Giant likely destroyed that planet. Uh, So that's why Dean is already mistrusting of the Iron Giant. So when he sees the Iron Giant fire the laser, he automatically assumes he's gone into weapon mode and he's going to kill everything. Right. And he jumps into action and, and is protecting Hogarth. And Hogarth is like, this This has got to be a misunderstanding, right? He did, He. I'm sure he didn't purposely try to hurt me, you know. He's our and friend. Yeah, absolutely. But Dean he's isn't having weapon. any of it. Yeah, Dean's not having any of it. And the Iron Giant runs off. Did you, you notice know. he dropped his Superman S too? Yeah. He, he left in total in utter sorrow. Because uh, while this is going on and Hogarth is playing with the giant, he's all, you're a Tomo. And the Iron Giant's like, no, dude, I'm Superman. And he turns and grabs the S, right? So the giant can choose. The, mm-hmm. the giant is making a choice. So when this happens, 
I think that the giant feels, and yeah, I'm sure robots can feel, uh, bad. And he feels guilty and like he almost killed his friend and it's computing. <laughs> That's a good word. It's, com- you- it's computing to the fucking giant. Uh, but he runs off to the field and uh, Hogarth's like, no, this is bullshit. He wouldn't do it. And he runs after him. And then Dean puts two and two together and figures out, oh, he was just defending himself. It was an automatic reaction. It was a defense mechanism, right? And so he goes and helps Hogarth go after him. The giant saves two boys falling from a roof when he arrives, winning over the townspeople. Mansley spots the giant in the town while leaving Rockwell and has the army attack the giant after he has picked up Hogarth, forcing the two to flee together. They initially evade the military by using the giant's flight system, but the giant is shot down and crashes to the ground. Hogarth is knocked unconscious, but the giant gives in to his defense system in a fit of rage and grief, transforming into a war machine and returning to Rockwell. Mansley convinces Rogard to prepare a nuclear missile launch from the USS Nautilus, as conventional weapons prove to be ineffective. Hogarth awakens and returns in time to calm the giant while Dean clarifies the situation to Rogard. Rogard is ready to stand down and order the Nautilus to deactivate its primed nuke, but a panicked Mansley impulsively orders the missile launch, causing the missile to head towards Rockwell, where it will destroy the town upon impact in the resulting nuclear detonation. Mansley tries escaping after being lectured by Rogard, but the giant intervenes, and Rogard has Mansley arrested. To save the town, the giant bids farewell to Hogarth and flies off to intercept the missile. As he soars directly into the missile's path, the giant remembers Hogarth's words, You are who you choose to be, smiles contently, and declares himself Superman as he collides with the weapon. The missile explodes in the atmosphere, saving Rockwell, its population, and the military forces nearby, while the giant is presumably destroyed, leaving Hogarth, Dean, Annie, and Rogard devastated. So as the giant is running away, uh, we get these two kids on the balcony of a building looking at them through binoculars. Uh, the boys lean over and they're about to fall. They're hanging on for dear life. The giant hears them and he saves them. This is a scene, again, when we talk about kind of unexpected you know, situations. Uh, normally in these movies, it's very cliche for the town people to hate things that they don't understand, to attack things they don't understand. I really appreciated that this movie took a different approach of after the giant saves the two boys, immediately the town is very accepting. Had he not saved the boys, they wouldn't have been accepting. Yeah. So. Yeah, what if he came in a little bit too fast and just destroyed the building in the process? Right. So while he saves the two boys, the townspeople are all like, oh, thank you, thank you. But Mansley and the rest of the military can see him because he's fucking 50 feet tall. So they turn around and then all of a sudden the Iron Giant starts taking fire. Right? This is where they're shooting at they him. They show up and they just attack immediately. Yeah. Uh, shoot first, ask questions later. Yep. So Hogarth is now in the giant's hands, in the giant's hand, and when the military shows up and starts firing on him, Hogarth tells tells the giant that they need to get away and and not and just get away. And so once they get away, as they are fleeing... As they are fleeing, they are 
momentarily able to get away from the military. And in this moment that they get away, Dean tells Mansley about Hogarth and the Iron Giant. You can't shoot at them because the, he's got a kid. He's and he's in the hand. And what he does is a defense mechanism. If you, if oh wait, he no, he's got a kid, and you need to tell the general not to fire at the giant because he has he has the boy. And then Mansley turns around and tells the general something completely different. I fucking love what he tells him too. That the boy's been, yeah, he's killed the boy. The robot just killed a kid. And then he, and then he's trying to not hit a school bus. As he's trying to not hit a school bus, they skid and they go over. Hogarth uh, is ejected from his hand, and what? No way, he's still in his hand. And then they go over a cliff, and then they 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 plunge, and then they think they're going to die. But then all of a sudden, the giant has rocket boosters. On the bottom of his feet. And you can fly. I like what... You uh, can fly? Yeah. I like you what, can fly. I like what uh, Hogarth tells him. You know, put your arms out like Superman. Right, right. And then from there, that, that lends it that much more about he's wants to do good and right. Right. And as they're fleeing, while he's flying, the military sends jets after him. And uh, this is the bit where... Uh, the giant locks on, goes into defense mode, but he consciously says, no, no, I'm not going to do it. You know, so he's learned. Right, you know. right. I just love watching those jets, too. They were so cool looking in the story. The, uh, the jets end up having one of their missiles hit the giant, and the giant goes down. Once he goes down and he tumbles across the ground, Hogarth is knocked unconscious. And it's at this time that the giant is upset, and he thinks, just like the deer, he's dead. Right. And so he goes all Transformers. Did you recognize the look of his war mode? What kind of War of the Worldsy to me? War of the Worlds, especially exactly. with, the, with the with the trifold or the, the yeah. snakehead. Feels very fifties to me mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Very, yeah. 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 And I gotta say, I love the way that this robot looks when he's all when he's all amped up like this. You know, holy moly, the army, they have got to be shitting themselves because they have gone and poked the bear, but good. When he goes on his destruction rampage, how many soldiers did he kill? Tons. I mean, he has this one weapon that just kind of like does this like a ricochet shot between like vehicles, completely Mm -hmm. annihilates them. And then there's also this bit, so towards the, the end of the the rampage when he's like trying to shoot a ship offshore and Hogarth's able to stop him. And I love, I absolutely love that the, that the weapon still goes off and it goes off for a little while. And just like a kind of feels like a, like Django Fett's uh, sonic bomb a little bit that goes off just in the, that, that that's what I really think that the massive casualty of all the fish in the water that just got annihilated from this um, enormous explosion. Um, yeah. Well, when you piss off the giant, Mm-hmm. People are gonna die, man. I, I just, I just love watching, you know, the uh, the army and and the slack jawedness, and they're not able to do anything to get them to stop. And they, they, they're in complete panic. Complete panic until Hogarth wakes up, and then he tells them, you know, stop it, yeah, knock this shit out. That's right. And so the You're giant calms down transforms back to his original form. Did you notice that right before he converted, like when he saw Hogarth and before he converted into the war machine, the little dent in his head popped out? Yeah. 
I thought that was interesting. He's so mad there was so much pressure. That's how I took yep. it. He was so mad that there yeah. was so much pressure that it, it popped out his dent. And you know I thought I mean? maybe you know, that might have forced all of his memory to come back and become this war machine. I don't know if it was memory. I thought it was just defensive mode. And what triggered it wasn't so much defense as it was rage or yeah. uh, anger um, that these people hurt his friend. And now just instinctively, he takes over and goes into War Machine and mm -hmm. kills a bunch of people. And in the meantime, we have Mansley suggesting that they get a nuke ready. Right. And uh, Rogard is almost on fucking board, right? And I like, up, the, yeah. I like the detail that it's going to come from a ship way off the coast, you know, because that's probably how it would really happen, right? So, Plus it has to give us time to, you know, intercept it. Rogard starts to believe that, okay, he's he's going to be, everything's going to be okay. He's calmed down, this, that, and the other. But Mansley's not having it. Yeah, well, he sees right? the kids alive. Right. And then he realized that Kent lied to him. Right. And so uh, the then he's alive and he's going to have him arrested and all this. And somehow Mansley gets his hands on the radio. He and, grabs it from the general and, and tells him to order the nuclear strike. Yeah. So because it's right at this moment where um, Hogarth is standing there at the, you know, at the, the giant's gun barrel. It's bad to kill. Guns kill. And you don't have to be a gun. You are what you choose to be. You choose. And then in the meantime, they want to strike the giant because it's vulnerable at this second. It's not firing. And then Dean is yelling at the general. So you got Mansley on one side and you got Dean on the other side. You know, you start firing this and it's going to start all over again. And so in that panic, in that moment, that's when Mansley grabs the, the walkie-talkie and says, launch the missile. And so the missile fires and it's coming toward land. And, you know, where's the giant? Yeah, I, I, I love that whole exchange. That, that missile's targeted at the giant's current position. Where's the giant, Mansley? Yeah, so, he, you know, we can he, did, he, did, he doomed them all, yeah. right? And Did you like how he tried to flee at that point? Yeah, Screw well, fuck. Screw our country. I yeah, want to well, live. Well, fuck that. I mean, he wouldn't have gotten very far. I mean, the, the, the blast radius of a nuclear weapon... They were all fucked, right? And, you know, everyone else kind of just accepted it. They just, uh, Hogarth immediately goes to his mom and Dean, and they want to be together, right? And the giant has a decision to make, and he commits self-sacrifice. Well, he says to Hogarth, and, and Professor, you can correct me if I'm wrong, like there's more to it, of, you know, don't follow me. You know, letting him know that I'm going to go and stop it. I don't know how much more there is to add to it, but you were right. Yeah, he says, don't follow me. I'm going to take off, which what? is repeating what uh, Hogarth said to him in the beginning. Right. This is a scene that used to bother me until I read a little bit more about the director's purpose of this scene. Why wouldn't the robot go into war mode again and just fire his lasers to destroy the rocket? Because destroying the rocket would cause a fallout? Thematically inappropriate. Why do you guys have an idea of why? I mean, the director actually responded to this, so clearly I'm wrong. No, yeah, you are wrong. Okay, I don't know. The idea was if he had gone back into that war mode, he would just be coming a gun again. This was him choosing to be Superman, to be the hero, and to sacrifice himself. Well, so he was showing he had overcome that defensive mode and that that now he was basically you know. A gi iron giant with a soul. Well, he is repeating Hogarth's words, right? Mm -hmm. As he's up there and smiling. 
Right. Yeah. I, I had already assumed that he was no longer the weapon. So, and it, it, it never even crossed my mind why he just didn't blow it up. What crossed my mind was why didn't he just grab it and throw it up into space? Do an Iron Man thing? Do an Iron The Avengers. Uh, but I know the answer. I know why he didn't do that. You guys ready for this? Iron Giant can't die. If a nuclear weapon can't take him out, he can't die. So, good for him. But he may not have known that at this point. Well, it doesn't matter. The The fact is, it doesn't kill him. So, mm-hmm. we know that we now know that the Iron Giant is indestructible. But at this point, you know, watching it for the first time or whatever, you might think he's dead. And- it's definitely a tugging at your heartstring moment. Absolutely. Did it, did it make you have a feels at all? No. Really? That scene of, of him repeating the line back to Hogarth gets me every time. I think when he says Superman, uh, as right before it explodes, it, it got me a little. A little bit of verklempt. I don't know, man. The music swells like that. Yeah, every time. Every time. Months later, a memorial of the giant stands in Rockwell. Dean and Annie begin a relationship. Hogarth is given a package from Rogard containing a screw from the giant, which is the only remnant found. That night, Hogarth finds the screw trying to move on its own and, remembering the giant's ability to self-repair, happily allows the screw to leave. The screw joins many other parts as they converge on the giant's head on a glacier in Iceland, and the giant smiles as he begins reassembling himself. Roll credits. Here we have the statue, and what do you think of Dean and Alice getting together? Was that predictable of course yes was it did did you do not think it was predictable i know it was definitely okay okay, i just was curious what you guys thought of that it's predictable i liked it well the other thing too is the army gives hogarth a screw which is the only thing that they have left of the iron giant can you see the government giving up anything like that to a kid when Uh, it's the only evidence they had of an alien on earth i'm gonna go ahead and say sure because rogard has a heart and he felt bad for the kid. And you know what? They are ultimately responsible for them blowing up. I see what you're saying, but you have to also remember that the military is assuming that he's completely destroyed. So what harm could it be? Because hmm. nobody knows that he can self-heal except for Hogarth. Well, I thought maybe they would keep it, try to figure out what the alloy was or how, if any more of these future Iron Giants show up, how to destroy them. Yeah, I know. God, that sounds like something that I've seen before. Now... The screw tapping on the window. Did you get that that was Morse code? Nope. It was actually tapping two letters in Morse code, G and O. I didn't realize that, but that's kind of cool. So apparently the robot knows Morse code. Do you know Morse code? No. Well, he had to have because he noticed that while he was watching it. He didn't read it. He noticed it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yes, so. yes, I do know Morse code. Nice. Good job, buddy. You, <laughs> do you want me to tap it in the... Yeah, would you? Go ahead. Go ahead. I fucking dare you, buddy. And so, yay, everyone lives happily ever after. Did you know that there is a sequel to the book, Iron Giant? Or The Iron Man? The Iron Woman. Yeah, it's called The Iron Woman. And uh, Brad Bird, I guess, has wanted to make the movie sequel. But it, well, I guess the direction of that one, this one took a lot of... Uh, looking at guns and what in war and all of that, the Iron Woman takes a look at the environment and focuses on that. All right, so that does wrap it up for the Iron Giant. This was a great 
animated movie, in my opinion. Do you know what other movie series had a pretty great animated versions? Oh, fuck. And now it's time for John's... Moment. This is the point in our podcast where I take whatever movie we are reviewing and compare it to the greatest movie series ever made, Lord of the Rings. So to start off with, Lord of the Rings is really... To start off with, Lord of the Rings focuses on a journey. Frodo, our main character, happens to be on that journey. And like Frodo, the Iron Giant spends most of this movie on a journey himself. He starts out as a weapon, loses his memory and purpose, and goes on a spiritual journey learning that he can rise above his original purpose and choose his own path. Hogarth helps guide the giant along the way. This makes him the Iron Giant's Sam or possibly Gandalf. A little bit of both. He's the one who constantly encourages the giant to grow beyond where he begins. He introduces the giant to the idea of heroism and a soul. He brings the giant back when he goes full attack mode, and Hogarth is the inspiration needed for the giant to sacrifice himself in the end. Dean is the closest thing we have to Aragorn. He's a reluctant king. In the beginning, he is content with his life in the scrapyard. But as he gets to know Hogarth and the giant more, he expands his reach into protecting both. By the end, He's dating Annie Hughes and showing his readiness to possibly have a new future role. Merry and Pippin typically serve as comic relief with good intentions ultimately. The best representation of them in Iron Giant would be probably the townsfolk, including Foreman Marv, Lorch, and Earl Stutz. Sauron is Kent Mansley. Originally, I was going to say the U.S. Army, who Kent works for, represents Sauron, but in the end, it's Kent using the army for his own goals. It's Kent who's always keeping an eye on Hogarth. Kent represents the dark side in all of us if we give in to our suspicions, fears, and follow a shoot-first attitude. It's Kent's own prejudice that fuels him to control the situation, to be in complete control of his world, despite how it affects the others around him. Therefore, it's Kent who is the big bad of the Iron Giant. That would make General Shannon Rogard Kent's Sauron the White, as he ends up doing Kent's bidding, unfortunately. And that would make the U.S. Army his orcs. So what is the precious? What is the one ring? What is the corruption our hero has to rise above? In the Iron Giant, the ring is represented by purpose. Originally, the giant's purpose was a weapon. But through his journey, he learns to grow beyond his original purpose and choose a new one for himself. Kent only sees the giant as a weapon to fight against. And so he attempts to corrupt our hero into, into being that weapon. But in the end, he overcomes the corruption and sacrifices himself as a true hero. And there you have it, my comparison between the Iron Giant and Lord of the Rings. Bring on the grades. Yeah, I'll go. I dig Dean being Aragorn. I, I thought that that was really good. And I like the idea of the Iron Giant being Frodo, which naturally will make Sam have to be 
it, that it has to be Hogarth. After that, I like Saruman the White and the correlation with the uh, army of orcs being the U.S. Army. So I, I like that comparison as well. After that, uh, I, I get what you're saying about the Marion Pippin part, but I don't necessarily agree with it. So I'm going to give you a solid C+. C+. I thought it was good. I disagree with the army and Rogard. I don't see him as Saruman or the orcs. I see the... Uh, because they turn in the end, right? They... they you know, That's you, why I was conflicted, too. Right, but check this out. I would consider them more of uh, King Theoden and the Rohirrims because they kind of start off as assholes, too, but they come around and they come out when... Uh, oh, I like that better. When Aragorn and team meet him. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it, it was, it made sense. And I like the approach with uh, the giant being Frodo. Because uh, you could clearly go, well, fuck, it would be Hogarth would be Frodo because he's the main character. But no, I mean, what you made, uh, what you said made a lot of sense. So I too, comic book guy, am going to give you a C+. I will say in a little bit of defense of myself, I struggled on the Marion Pippin thing. I thought about leaving that out. Uh, but the reason why I went with Sauron the White for the general is if you read the book versions of Lord of the Rings, Sauron thought he was doing good. He thought he was on the right side and planned to overtake you know, Sauron. Uh, so in a way, the general saw himself as good as well, but took a different path than Sauron the White. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? Who cares? No. Now I got to see. No. You said the book versions. Yeah. Is the book versions the greatest film series ever made? I say the greatest series. Oh, for fuck's sakes. Man, he's, he's splitting these hairs thinner. And I, thinner. I, I, I think know. about how I, I word know. it. Absolutely. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't even make it good. And that was John's. moment all right what do you guys think you guys ready to rate this flick i'm ready to rate this flick john are you ready to rate this flick sure why not professor how do we do our ratings we do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold hey you want to watch the iron giant fuck yes i do a one fuck movie is what the fuck was that <sighs> why'd you make me watch that I'm not, I'm not watching that again and what's a zero a zero fuck movie is, oh, for shit's sake, what the hell was that? I want one hour and 26 minutes of my life back. Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. All right, who would like to go first on the Iron Giant? Would you like me to go first since I went last last time? By all means, good sir. Although the Iron Giant wasn't a box office hit i really appreciate the deeper meanings within the story i've always said that i enjoy a movie that keeps you thinking long after the movie ends i like how the writers gave us a fun movie while also getting their point across without being a blatant slap to the face yes the movie's point is guns kill because they have no other purpose they don't have a soul but you don't have to focus on that point to, act, to actually enjoy this movie. I also love the animation style of 2D movie with 3D elements. I appreciate how they captured the giant's 3D style animation in a way 
that was different from the rest of the movie and gave us that outsider type of feel. The act in the movie was okay. Eli did a good job of voicing Hogarth. Jennifer Aniston was also good in the scenes that she was in. Henry Connick Jr. just was okay in my opinion. While he performed well in some scenes, I found his voice performance flat in others. And Vin Diesel, while only speaking 53 words throughout the whole movie, managed to pull some emotion actually into the robotic style. Really, in my opinion, it was Christopher McDonald's acting performance that was above everyone else. His performance proved, once again, he makes a great dick villain. He really reminded me of Happy Gilmore's villain, Shooter McGavin. The Iron Giant is a fun watch and still draws emotions out of me 20 years later. I wouldn't list this in my top five, but I definitely can see it being in my top 10 of animated movies. And I can definitely see myself watching this movie again. I love the central theme brought up throughout the movie. We can all make a, we can all make a choice to be the best we can be. As Brad Bird stated, I think people connect to the idea that we all have a dark and light sides within ourselves and that our lives are defined by which side we act on. We all have the power to affect those around us and can either be a destructive or uplifting thing. So it's for those reasons I'm giving the Iron Giant 3.75 fucks. Uh, TJ, would you like to go next? I mean, I like everything about this movie and this movie for me has always been a, a 10 out of 10. Uh, so I'd give it five fucks. Um, but the, the, the thing that I, I truly felt about this movie, especially after the signature edition came out, I already thought it was a perfect film. Signature edition adds two extra scenes, the, the dream sequence, which is also really awesome. Uh, somehow that makes it even better than it are. It was, it was a movie that was already perfect to me and then it got all of it better. So I would give it 5.1 fucks. Did you just say 5.1 fucks? Oh, yeah. I went there. Because, you know what, <laughs> he bud? He shattered the ceiling. I know. You know what, bud? Because you are tied as the most appearances on three guys, and, you know, you're always welcome to the table, I'm going to allow the 5.1 fucks. I just think it's a perfect movie. Mainly because I, this score doesn't count. But, yes, I allow it. 5.1. I, I love everything about this movie. Cinematic gold for TJ. You or me? I'll go. All right. Sounds good. The Iron Giant, I think, is such a delightful watch. It is very, very holistic in its approach. I love how it embraces the 1950s uh, simple life, the embrace that the uh, the characters have for their convictions. I, I really appreciate. You see it in Hogarth. You see it in Mansley. You see it in Rogard. And you also see it in Dean and in the Giant. They are all strong and firm in their convictions. And I think that these characters existing in a time of communism, isolationism, patriotism, I, I feel like all of these things are just like very prevalent in the story arc and where these characters are and they're supposed to be going. I always enjoy watching the arc of the Giant and how he is changing his destiny in choosing to be what he wants to be and not what he's supposed to be. And the fact that Hogarth sees this in the giant unflinchingly throughout the entire movie just warms my heart. 
I tear up every time at the end when he is Superman hitting the missile and then when he smiles at us at the very end of the movie and that's where the movie ends. I really dug the the emotional score that the movie uh, uses with the uh, with some of the physical cues that we get in the movie. I really appreciated how fun the uh, the animation uh, conveyed uh, through Mansley in his all of his little idioms that he does throughout the movie. I loved the voice acting that Eli gives us in Hogarth's voice and his passion and his convictions for what he wants out of whatever the situation that he's in at that moment. I think that this is a very fun watch and I always enjoy watching it. And I've, I've been going back and forth all evening as to what score I want to give it. So since I've already scored something else that I was privately disappointed in, I'm going to go and go for the five fucks. Five fucks and the professor. Yeah, I had another movie that I'm disappointed in the score that I gave it, and I should have, I should have pushed myself because for like the next two weeks it's like uh, I should have, but I didn't, and so this time I did. Which movie? Dodgeball. Was it dodgeball? I don't know why you don't want to tell me. Well, I thought I'd go ahead and save it for the next year. Yeah, that he can fix his grade. Oh, it has to be a surprise? It doesn't have to be. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I guess I'll find out in 11 months. Fine. 10 months. No, I don't want to know now. Nope. So, too, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to know either. I don't want to know. Too late. Nope. Don't want to nope. know. Nope. Hank. Nope. ATF. Uh, let me guess. <laughs> let me venture a guess. <laughs> it's simple. <laughs> what did you give it? I gave it a Oh, wow. And Which movie? Oh. And it... It, it haunted me for weeks. Kicking you in the balls a little bit? Yeah. But he didn't do it. <laughs> All right. I guess it's my turn. Why don't you go next, Don? Oh, hey, thanks, buddy. There is something to be said that when you watch an animated film, it brings out uh, the inner child in you. There is a lot of nostalgia for me when I go back and I do watch animated films. The Iron Giant is uh, well-made. It's well-crafted. Uh, but for me, I think it's just pretty much run of the mill. It falls right kind of smack dab in the middle of something that could be really good or something that you just, you know, don't want to watch. Um, we've said this all night. It, it's definitely loved by millions of people and it's on a lot of top 10 lists this, that, and the other. And that's great. I, I love that it's that it does that for me personally. Um, it's not in my top 10. It's probably not even in my top 20. Um, would I watch it again? Sure. I don't hate this movie. I think that for what it is, it's passable. Uh, the cast is passable with the exception of Christopher McDonald. I think he's the standout. I think he plays a great villain. All the other, uh, characters to me, you could have swapped them out with any other actor in Hollywood. And I don't know if it would have made a difference, but again, that's just my own opinion and, you know, is what it is. I think if E.T. and Terminator 2 had a baby, it would be the Iron Giant. So with all of that being said, I'm going to give the Iron Giant 3.25 fucks. So with five fucks from the professor, 
3.75 fucks from the comic book guy and 3.25 fucks from yours truly. That gives the Iron Giant an average of four fucks. That now puts it into the 11th spot with Dodgeball, Edge of Tomorrow, Clerks 2, and The Batman. And means it is slightly better than Moonrise Kingdom, The Suicide Squad, and slightly worse than Clerks 3 and Violent Night. So there you go. I'm curious to know, why do you have hesitation in reviewing animated movies? I I know that you don't care for war movies. And because of that, it's like, meh, right? When something comes up like that, your your choice, your preference is for other stuff over a war movie. I'm wondering if animation is like that as well, that there isn't necessarily a reason. It's just that it's just not your thing. Uh, I don't know if it's not my thing, because uh, I do love animated movies. Uh, I don't know what my hesitation is, really. You know, if you said, let's review Fantastic Mr. Fox, I'd be like, oh, fuck yeah. If you said, let's do the 1986 Transformers, I'd be like, fuck yeah. Into the Spider-Verse? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. What, what about you, TJ? You were talking a little bit about animation as well. You enjoy the creativity that can come from an animation movie. I I think it's uh, it, it allows for, like, ultimate creative vision. I think, I, I think when you when you choose to animate a project, you're doing so in a really deliberate way, and and you want to do something, especially in the case of like the Iron Giant. I don't think that if it were live action, it would feel as beautiful. If you know what I mean, um, I think it might make it feel, especially because what this came out in 1999. If it was live action, I don't know. I kind of feel like it would date it a bit. But something about it being animated, I think, keeps it timeless. I think there's also a really, John, you pointed that out as well, about it being kind of similar in vibe to a Norman Rockwell painting. I, I, I think that there is just, every, every time a movie gets animated, I, I think that it's always a really deliberate choice to showcase something that's either fantastical or something that like couldn't be done in, it, it would be less impactful if it were live action. And... Um, I don't know. I, I love what animation does, and I, I I dig every time that animation is done well, and I, I think this is a movie where animation uh, is perfect for this kind of story because it's also about childlike wonder. Personally, yeah. I'm a big fan of animated movies. I've always liked them, uh, sometimes even more than non-animated movies. Uh, in fact, like there's a series of recent DC animated movies that have come out, you know, straight to streaming, straight to video, but... Uh, I've loved them. I mean, there's that Dark Side one, Doomsday. I mean, just some great movies coming out with great storylines that I don't think would translate well into a live-action movie. Mm. Well, and, and the other thing that you get with Batman and comic book characters is it, it it's able to kind of be closer to the source material. Like, did you ever see Mask of the Phantasm? Because mm-hmm. that is like that is a wonderfully dramatic animated movie that's able to do things that are way more stylistically cool than if it were live-action. And and that's the point of animation, like you were saying, Teach. Yeah. Um, you can do whatever you want. There are no limits. You know, there are no rules when it comes to animation, you know, which sometimes means if there are no rules, then besides the pretty pictures, you have to have heart behind it. You know what I mean? And I think that's what Pixar does so well is they have all of this heart. Um, I don't know. This one just felt very basic to me. So it's not that I don't like animation. Maybe it was just this pick. I don't know. 
There you have it. Thank you for sharing. John, thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. TJ, thank you for sharing. All right, that is going to wrap it up for this episode. If you would like to know which movie we are going to be reviewing next, please check out our website. Uh, speaking of which, hey, John, where can they find us? Well, they can find us always at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where we post all of our podcasts, movie trivia, show notes, anything else we feel like posting. You can also find us at any place that hosts podcasts as well as all of social media. All right. I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for always listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I want to throw out a special big thank you to TJ for putting up with us for this past couple of hours, especially myself. Um, You are always welcome to come on and talk about whatever movie you want to. Good, sir. You always have a place at this table. So thank you very much for joining us. I also want to thank everyone else who listens and who has suggested a movie. Uh, Be sure to pass this along to a friend. And if you keep listening, we'll keep recording. So, for Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. I'm Ken. I'm TJ, and thanks for listening. That is for all the diehards out there who love this fucking movie. They're going to be like, yeah, they're coming from Macapin. That's where the shit goes down. All right, so, will you quit hitting the fucking thing? Ad- you did it again. Sorry. Yeah, that's what I, I just fucking said. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening. I don't like that. Okay, try it again. Hello, everybody. <laughs> you don't want to go on, but you just, okay, that's good. I like and by appearance, I mean, you know, uh, uh, looking at his voice. Yeah. Looking at his voice? Well, appearance, right? I was trying to be. You know what? Fuck off. Yeah, well. Go ahead. Finish your fucking French fry, bud. Sorry. All right. Well, there you go. There you go. The Wait, wait. What, what about Don? Thank you, Ken. Thank you. <laughs> Cock. I was going to ask, what do you think, Don? That's not what you were going to say. Upon <laughs> closer inspection is a little creepy. Yeah, but then again, who hasn't ever wanted to chloroform a kid? Wow. <laughs> Speaking as a stepdad. Wow. Oh my. <laughs> wow. You know, for legal reasons, I don't think I can put that in there. All right, fuck off. Good night.